Welcome to our Clothed with the Sun daily podcast, our daily reading of Scripture and meditation on the Gospel of the Day. I am James Thomas. Today is Monday, May 29th, 2023. It is Memorial Day, and it is also the feast day of Mary, Mother of the Church. <coughs> Excuse me. It is the day after Pentecost, first day back into ordinary time. And our reading today is from the Gospel according to St. John. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary of Magdala. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple there whom he loved, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his home. After this, aware that everything was now finished, in order that the scripture might be fulfilled, Jesus said, I thirst. There was a vessel filled with common wine. So they put a sponge soaked in wine on a sprig of hyssop and put it up to his mouth. When Jesus had taken the wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he handed over the spirit. Now, since it was preparation day, in order that the bodies might not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath day of that week was a solemn one, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs be broken and that they be taken down. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and then of the other one who was crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one soldier thrust his lance into his side and immediately blood and water flowed out. So this is a great reading here. The crucifixion, according to St. John, that has Mary and the others at the foot of the cross. Jesus's, well, some of Jesus's final words, giving the Blessed Mother to each one of us through the Apostle John. Also, uh, it is finished, which is a poor translation. It's supposed to say it is consummated. And so anyway, there's so much here. It's just the, the wedding banquet of the Lamb is being consummated here. And Mary is the bride. Mary represents all of us. She represents the church in, well, so much, so much. <laughs> Her becoming the mother of the church her fulfilling her role as the spouse of the Holy Spirit and the first member of the church. It makes sense that a, well, when it comes to the members of the family, the parents come first. So Mary is receiving that gift of motherhood from Jesus, her son, after she had already been his mother. And there's just so much to this. It's such a beautiful feast. And it's a, uh, I believe it's a newer title of Mary at, that was given to her at the time of Vatican II. She is the mother of the church. Um, Pope John Paul, in his encyclical Redemptoris Mater, Mother of the Redeemer, 1987, he gave us a little bit of development of doctrine in regard to Mary, although others had talked about this beforehand. Um, traditionally Mary's greatest attribute had been that she was mother of Jesus, mother of the savior. But Pope John Paul spells out, according to that one passage, 
where they say, blessed is the womb that bore you. Another passage that where they say to Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside. And Jesus emphasizes, you know, who are my mother? Who are my brothers? Um, those who basically do God's will, those who hear the word of God and follow it with all their hearts. Blessed rather, Jesus says, are those who hear the word of God and follow it. And Pope John Paul says, well, Mary does that too. <laughs> and that's actually because of the words of Jesus, we say that's her greatest dignity, her following Jesus, her discipleship. She follows him straight to the cross. And you can be sure that we don't even need deep theology to confer with us here that the greatest dignity uh, that Mary possesses and anybody that's mother knows that, you know, you, you share in your children's pain, especially heaven forbid, if you saw your child tortured in front of you. So Mary endures all that pain with Jesus. Mary feels the pain. Mary goes through it with Jesus. She follows him straight to the cross. Even the majority of the other apostles and disciples did not do this. So Mary's always with him. Mary follows him. Mary ponders his words in her heart. And Mary, therefore, is given the motherhood of the church. So, but it all comes from her being at the cross. Another connection here is Revelation chapter 12. See, due to Mary's virgin birth, the church has always taught that Mary was a virgin before, during, and after meaning that she retained her physical virginity even in giving birth to Jesus. Therefore, she did not have pain in childbirth. So when Revelation 12 has a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars above her head, it says, now some people say, well, that represents the church. And it's true, you know, that can represent the church as well. But it says that it's a woman giving birth to the Messiah, it's a quote from Psalm 2. This child will uh, rule with a rod of iron. So it says, uh, this woman labors in pain as she gives birth to a child destined to rule the world with a rod of iron. So we know that this is Mary. This is the mother of the Redeemer. And it says that she labors in pain to give birth. So... Since we believe in this virgin birth and Mary did not have pain in childbirth, we say those are Mary's labor pains that are being referred to there as she's giving birth to you and me. And how does she spiritually give birth to you and me? Well, she suffers with Jesus at the cross. Those are her labor pains as she's united with Jesus in his suffering. Of course, she is not the Savior, as some might accuse us of believing we have one Savior, his name is Jesus, but she's his mother. She's there with him. She's united with him in his suffering. She feels his pain. They have a tremendous connection there. So these are Mary's labor pains at the cross, hence the reading that we did for the day. And now Mary then receives all these spiritual children over the centuries across the world. Mary is the mother of all these spiritual children, including you and me. Now, she intervenes for us, as a good mother would do. So mentioning that this is also Memorial Day, I always like to talk about, I mean, there's so many great stories of valor and courage in the history of the United States. So many people that fought so hard 
to help us win our freedom and maintain our freedom. And one story I always love to talk about is the Battle of New Orleans. It's one of my favorite moments in U.S. history where, you know, the revolution had been won a good deal earlier. And there was the War of 1812 where the English tried to take back what they had lost. And they attacked the area around Washington, D.C. They were successful at first, but then they were driven back. And there were even miraculous events within that whole scenario. But as the treaty had been signed and the U.S. and England were formally at peace once again, the British Navy didn't know this. So they went south and it was general at the time, Andrew Jackson, that was trying to put together a, an army using mostly militia to, first of all, try to discern and ascertain where the British were going to attack, and then secondly, to fight them off. And if they had succeeded, they could have come straight through. They could have attacked our country from another angle. We were very weak uh, in a lot of places. They could have retaken the early forming United States. But they attacked at New Orleans. Andrew Jackson got his army together that he had pulled together from all kinds of people, militiamen all over the place in the south there. And as the British Navy, the strongest Navy in the world, came in and attacked, the U.S. soldiers were just, I mean, it was miraculous when you see the story of how they won, picking them off little by little here and there. The British attacking certain spots that were strong for us and ignoring certain spots that were very weak where they could have gotten right through. And these people in New Orleans at the time were mostly Catholic. A lot of lapsed Catholics down there. Isn't it funny? These places that are traditionally Catholic are also known for their party and drunken atmosphere. New Orleans was already a party place, but still the faith was strong there as well. And while the men went off to fight with their rifles and pitchforks and whatever they could get together, the women were back at home praying and specifically they were praying the rosary. And it's a very similar battle to the battle of Lepanto that we never should have won that changed the course of the crusades. A few hundred versus many thousands where the rosary crusade led by the Pope is what we hold responsible for the Christian victory. Hence, the whole Notre Dame phenomenon, Our Lady of Victory, uh, that's feast is celebrated October 7th. But the Battle of New Orleans was very similar. They were back home praying the rosary while the soldiers were fighting on the front and all these miraculous uh, events took place to drive back the British and send them packing send them back to the sea with their navy, back to England, only then to find out that they had already signed a treaty with America and the war was over. So, once again, so many things we could talk about. So many people, just with deeply spiritual experiences, they say there are no atheists in foxholes. And the United States is a country tremendously blessed by Almighty God. And one way we are blessed is in all the men and women that have sacrificed themselves for the good of this country and for the freedom of others, and how God has blessed us over and over again because of these good people that we, we commemorate today, we celebrate today, we pray for their souls, we pray for their families, because it's only these people that have sacrificed so much for us that we can continue to maintain the freedom that we still 
desperately strive to maintain, despite so many people that want to take it away from us. And Our Lady leads the charge for us. She is the mother and the patroness of this country, and we need to keep turning to her in our prayers, interceding before her son for us, but also following her example. She is the Immaculate Conception, that is specifically the patroness of this country. And um, as the Immaculate Conception, she teaches us about purity and she teaches us about family. And these are things that we desperately need to return to if we are to reestablish a Christian society. Our society was founded as a Christian society, and that's the only thing that works according to our founding fathers. It's not a pure democracy. It's a democratic republic based on Christian beliefs, essentially. I know William Penn and the Quakers had a lot to do with it, too. Their idea of radical freedom put together with Thomas Aquinas's uh, natural law and teachings on the dignity of the human person and how we are children of God. And therefore, each one of us is royalty. Each one of us uh, is deserving of freedom, yet we must fight for our freedom. And we must constantly put God at the center of it. Uh, realizing our society is founded on virtue and not simply a desire to do whatever we want. So we ask our Lord today through the intercession of Our Lady that he may bless our country and return us to where we need to be in order to receive his blessing again. And we thank Almighty God for this gift of Our Lady, our Mother, that is constantly interceding for us. We refer to her as our life, our sweetness, and our hope. Sometimes it just seems impossible, yet we remember that Mary is our hope, and we have every reason to rejoice and hope in Jesus, saving us from even the worst things, because his mother intercedes for us, and it just goes to show how much he loves us. So I hope everybody has a great day, and let's keep each other in prayer. God bless you.